Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this, our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. And this is episode 199, Impatience Leads to Literary Disasters. I know you're probably saying, what the heck is this? <laughs> it's a big title. Alright, well, one of the biggest problems, let's say, or you could even call it sins, as an editor, when I receive work, on a monthly basis, is I can tell folks that are dealing in impatience. They simply don't want to do what's correct, don't want to take the time, don't want to investigate everything. They just want to throw some, some thought out there. And it's often done in a haphazard, harsh, horrible, oftentimes cliche-ridden manner. All right, so we've got three sections in the show we'll talk about here. First, you got the impatience of creativity, then you got the impatience of completion, and then you have the impatience of publication. All right? First one we're going to be talking about here is impatience of creativity. Now, one of the things I, that I noticed about this, this type of impatience is here are folks that they're not really waiting for some form of inspiration. They're not even trying to find any kind of inspiration. Uh, they're certainly not doing any real investigation on what they're writing. It is haphazardly thrown on a sheet somewhere. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I felt I needed to put that out there. And then you read something and you're like, you got to be kidding me. This stuff is horrible. No one's going to connect with it because it's written that badly. And, and, and you don't even know what they're trying to get across because it's literally split in a hundred different pieces. You know, it's like uh, someone saying, look at my fine china after they already broke it on the floor. Well, it's kind of hard to know how wonderful it was when it's in a million pieces. It's the same thing with some of this junk that I get. This is the impatience of creativity. When people, they don't even bother to be creative. They don't even try to find out, you know, even if they're copying somebody else's sonnet, you know, rhyme scheme or somebody else's, Blank verse idea, whatever. Hell, I, I mean, even that kind of imitation would be better than them simply doing something with zero knowledge of what's going on and how to express themselves and what to do. Okay? Creativity, especially when you're talking about um, a poem or even a, a short fiction like a flash fiction, it's really all about both its structure, how you're putting it together, and the type of word uses that you're using. And so when you read something like this, that's literally cliche-written, it, it makes tabloids look like Shakespeare, then you, you know there's something seriously wrong with this person because they're not bothering to do anything. Now, I'm sorry, writing is not like the regular world where you get an A for effort or, you know, we'll have 400 conversations about your in-depth sincerity. They don't mean anything at all. Crap is crap. And since... Good writing is about making a connection 
first the connection between yourself and the creativity that you're trying to do, and then the next correction is the one between you and the, and the reader. And none of that's happening, then the writing is not happening. Okay? It's, I mean, I don't even know if I want to call it typing. Some of the stuff is unbelievable that I, that I can get at times. Uh, again, sure, you, you, you're not dealing with evil people here. You're not dealing with people who are not intelligent. You're just dealing with people that either have no talent or haven't done anything to even try to investigate how to form some talent. They don't take it seriously, so you just throw it out there. And then, you know, you tell them, you got to be kidding me. Now, I, as the uh, editor of Aerial Chart, uh, we have a policy, unlike, I don't know, 10,000 other ones that are out there, is we tell people, you know, why we reject something. It's not something we hide. We just don't send them some form letter. So I got no problem telling somebody, listen, this is this this is not passable on any level. Full of cliches. This title is is absolutely uh, atrocious. Your direction is all over the place. There's nothing here that's concise. There's nothing here that makes any sense. Literally, they have to say that sometimes. That's all you can do. You got to tell them go back to the drawing board. Go find out from a video course on how to basically write a poem or, you know, figure out what it is for short fiction. But quite frankly, if you can't even figure out the, you know, the basic elements of a poem, I, I can't even believe how you're going to learn how to do short fiction, which is actually a lot more harder. You actually have to have a, a, a greater sense about what you're feeling, what you're trying to do. You have to have a, a much better command of, of vocabulary. And you're writing something that's purposely short, so you can't go into the f flow and spirit of things. And uh, Yeah, I, I was trying to get the flash fiction now, but it went to 1,800 words. Yeah, well, you're not in flash fiction anymore. You're practically a short story. So there you go. All of that has to happen. All of that has to be uh, full uh, you, you need to know all of that already before you're even trying to do that. So you can tell that, you know, that's not going to happen any anytime soon. Why all this happen? Well, just like the title of the show, impatience leads to literary disasters. That's just not a catchy thing to make people feel weird or, you know, to hit somebody over the head so they listen to the show because they like the title. It's the truth. It's what actually happens. Impatience. The impatience of not looking into yourself and being honest. Uh, the, the impatience of not listening to your creative writing teacher about some of the basics that you should do. Now, as you know, I've had a few shows in the past about creating writing courses with the understanding that, you know, they, they don't always have the most value, but they still have some value. You're not going to suddenly become a writer after you take one, but you'll have a lot more knowledge. And it's really useful on the background of things. Don't get me wrong; it, it, it definitely does do something for you. Uh, but you know, it's not a, it's not a panacea. You're not going to drop a pill and suddenly I'm a writer. But it's certainly better than just trying to do stuff on your own, not doing any any investigation. Just think you're gonna you're gonna do this, you know? But Mark, I have a master's in economics. Well, thanks. Maybe you can send me some friggin' numbers because these letters suck. Okay? So they don't mean anything. And that's the, one of the first things you'll find out when an editor is, is that you need to detach yourself right away from that person's uh, bio because they're all out there. I'm, I have a Ph.D. in this. I got a master's in that. One guy told me he had two masters. Great. How about you figure out how to master this friggin' poem, okay? Because I'm glad that you mastered the bioethics, and I'm certainly happy that you mastered the economics. Or, or my favorite one, the master's in government administration. Great. I'm glad you did all that. 
But that has nothing to do with writing. And it had nothing to do with this poem, which, by the way, is nowhere near anything that would be considered master. Okay? Unless uh, it's the other master of just messing around with yourself, because that's about the only master it's going to be. And that's not really helpful for anybody. That's the problem. The impatience. Sometimes people, in this particular situation, they're impatient because they're impatient. I know it sounds funny, but they just want to hurry the hell up and try to get something out there because they think it's that important. Okay? Sometimes they're impatient because they're arrogant. I get people all the time, sometimes even, you know, chair professors of the entire department. But Mark, how can you just like this poem? Well, it sucks. That's why. You know, I mean, how about you act your age? Don't try to be some college student and, 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 and talk some colloquialisms like you know what the hell you're talking about, okay? You're not hip. You're not young. You know, how about you just be honest uh, with yourself? Because you can't be honest with yourself. How the hell are you going to be honest with the audience? And right now I'm your editor and I'm saying that this is not ringing anything to me. I, I listen to college students all day long with the stuff they send me. <laughs> so I know what they sound like. This is horrible. So you have to wonder, how the hell does someone teach college English all day long and they can't even write a damn poem that's worth a dime? Hell, not even a penny. I get a lot of that stuff. It's amazing. But guess what? I get a lot of stuff. I got something today from somebody, a retired uh, PhD in, in theology, and, and, and put together some, some excellent poems. Why is this? Because they did their research. They did their painstaking uh, investigation of their heart, of their soul, uh, the travel of the world, uh, being around people. They're this older person, so you know they they have a, a great uh, you know affinity for people, and and they're a more sociable person. And you can see it in the writing. It all it all comes together. So there isn't a natural connection between a person's intelligence or even a person's education, certainly not their occupation with writing, because there really isn't. And folks that think they are, well, that's one of the problems of impatience for them. That's, so there's a certain type of uh, arrogance that goes with that, that that's not going to help anybody. It's not a given. It's not a given for anything. Because it all, it all takes time. It all takes work. You know, it all takes some some confession and maybe even some of your own type of, uh, you know, personal um, writing therapy to kind of get some kinks out of your system, to kind of get some ground rules about what you want to try to talk about, what you're trying to, you know, convey to, to an audience. That can't be done with impatience. That can't be done with any kind of thing that's going to be creative. I don't care if it's a poem or a play. It's just not going to happen at all. All right, now next is what I call the impatience of completion. Now, what this is, is this is the next stage of impatience. All right, we got some people out there that they have some basic talents, okay? And they have, they have done some work about trying to understand more about themselves in the world, you know, about trying to pick some, some better words, because one of, one of the things for me as an editor, and I really think that a lot of editors should be this way, I, I really do, is we should be making sure that the things that we're publishing are making every attempt to try to say something in a new way. 
because there's only so many things you can say over and over again over the course of thousands of poems and thousands of years of writing and all of that. It's going to be some unique thing. It's not. You know, oftentimes you're working, whether you like it or not, on the variation of a theme, which is fine. No one says you're supposed to be the Isaac Newton of literary, you know, originality. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is that you shouldn't sound like some greeting card from the Hallmark store in the mall. And what I am saying is you shouldn't be using such casual, basic household words for things. And you expecting us to be excited with that kind of description? We should be expecting something new. Something interesting, something, some angle we haven't seen before, some, some setup of words that we haven't encountered before. Doesn't matter if they have the same meaning as somebody else. What it does matter is it, it identifies you were there. This is Billy Johnson who wrote that. I have arrived. I got something for you to, to read. I got something for you to think about. Blah, blah, blah. Now, if that person was able to make some kind of public announcement before you read the poem, folks, this is about love. I mean, we'd all fall asleep. Nobody cares. I don't even think I want to read it then. Really? What more could he say? Well, that's your job. You want to talk about love? Not an easy something to talk about because there's so many things that have been written about it. Poems and plays and fiction and songs and movies and uh, it goes on forever. Not an easy topic to talk about, but you can still do it if you're willing to put in the kind of word usage that makes you unique, that makes it interesting, that has some playfulness to it, or maybe has some deep, profound meaning to it. That's how you become the writer that you should be. That's how you get yourself published. That's how you're being creative. And that's definitely the opposite of being impatient. So we got a lot of folks out there, they don't want to do that. They want to send me something that I can tell. Okay, I'm serious because I have so much experience in this. I can tell from the first read that this is a first draft. I can also tell that it could have went somewhere if they spent more time on it. You could see the direction. You could see what I used to call... Uh, I don't call it anymore because, I mean, it's a little corny even for myself. I used to call it the outskirts of talent. Almost like, you know, you know, they were getting there. They just were a little bit off the map. But you could see they were going in the right direction, but they just sort of stopped at one point. That's what that is. All right, folks? And that is what the impatience of completion is. You didn't go beyond the first draft. It's ridiculous to not do that. It ought to be the first rule for any writer, I don't care what they're doing, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. First rule should be you got some notes together, you were able to put together uh, you know, the rough draft or something, and then you go put it to the side and go do something else. Maybe go edit something from before. Maybe you got some more notes and some more ideas on something else, and that's fine. Okay? You don't think it's done after that, and then I, I, I can't wait to send this out. Well, that's your problem. You can't wait. You have to wait. You should wait. The writing almost demands it. Anything that makes any sense is going to demand it. Now, we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about it very briefly now. Yes, occasionally, you're going to be able to get something that needs very minor tinkering that you could send out that might be pretty close to what you want. It's usually on things that are quite short. 
and it does happen every so often, but it doesn't happen that often, okay? It really doesn't, so don't expect that. I expect that you're going to be taking something through a second or third draft. I mean, as a, as a rule, I don't even send anything out until I've really done four or five drafts on it, period. That's what I do, because I don't trust it before that, and neither should you. You should be not impatient about something like this. To not compete it rightly is not only just impatience in my, in my book, you are betraying your efforts. What's the point of writing notes and assembling something that could be interesting and then screwing it up, you know? It's like getting pregnant and then killing the baby before it gets born. What was the point of all of that then? And that's what you do when you send the first draft out. You send something out that's not going to survive. It can't live outside your house because it'll die. Because it's not ready for the world yet because you haven't prepared it yet. So you have to go beyond the first draft. You cannot be impatient. That leads to one of the most common literary disasters that I receive on a regular basis. Now, another thing, and you know, it's, it's been one of my, um, I guess you can call it pet peeves, but it's part of my philosophy as, as a writer. So I, I employ it as an editor as well. What would be the point, and this happens a lot, where you spent the time four and five drafts. I receive poems that are excellent, and then the title is like blue. Night. This love. The forest. I mean, are you kidding me? And I'm, I'm, I literally have to write them back. Did you just like give up on giving it a title? Huh? Were you so tired from all the drafts that you just didn't have any more energy left? You're still required to put that to the side until you come up with some kind of title. Do you realize how many times people get rejected out there on these magazines that don't even bother to tell you why they're rejecting you? You know, if you got a shitty title, there's a good chance that you might get rejected from that. Because they're like, I've seen this a hundred times already. And compared to something else, I mean, ugh. Because remember, they're comparing it. Not only the stuff they received in the past, they might be comparing it from the stuff they received just that week. And these people have these snappy, interesting titles, and you just give somebody a, a poem, The Night. If they can't even get past your title, they might not even read your work. It might already go on to the dustbin to get returned to you. That's a real possibility. And you're at fault for that, because again, that is impatience. There's just no point in that. You know, it's like it's like somebody about to go to a great uh, tennis tournament, but they, they haven't bothered to practice for like two weeks. What the hell is the point of going to the tournament then? Are you supposed to magically be great now? Folks, writing is a lot like sports. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time. It's work. Okay? So the moment you can get off that, that Mickey Mouse delusions that people have about, you know, they're sitting there and they got the great novel, they're going to make a million dollars, everybody's going to think they're a genius. When you actually, you know, dislodge that nonsense from your, from your body, you'll come to the reality that, that writing is a lot of work. It doesn't always have the most reward. But when the reward does come, and some editor out of the blue, you send something, has a paragraph of wonderful things to say to you, you know that you've done your job. You know 
that that will carry you a long way. I don't care how long you've been writing. I'm writing 37 years now. I got one just like two weeks ago. And, and I feel the same way I did 37 years ago when I got something published. And I got some great feedback back. Hell, I got somebody that rejected one of my pieces, and he still had wonderful things to say. Which, again, is, is it's a wonderful thing to hear. It definitely helps your ego, definitely helps your psyche, definitely helps you know that you're on the right track. But most importantly is, I would never get that if it was just the first draft. Especially my first drafts, we get it. I couldn't send it out even if I wanted to. It's just, it's just, it's atrocious. But it's supposed to be. That's why it's a rough draft. What do you think they call it rough draft for? Because it's freaking rough. <laughs> That's why. And then later on you fine tune it. But you can't do that when you're impatient. And I think that the world is already a difficult place. And I think that people's friends and family are often people that are not supportive about what we do. So why add to the fuel to the fire? Why make the world hate us more? Why make our family think we're weirder than, we, than they thought we were last week when we're simply portraying our talents and, and all the things we want to do by just being impatient and just sending stuff out there willy-nilly? Don't do that. All right. Last one over here, and it's it's, uh, it's like a, a topic forever, I'm telling you. The impatience of publication. Now, I get this subject all the time. I mean, to the point where I, I, I think I'm going to get tired of talking about it one day. I really am. Because I see the same stuff over and over and over again. People tired because it's hard to get a great deal out there, publishing-wise. It takes a long time. With the whole COVID situation, probably takes even longer than it did before, which was long. You got folks out there that they're impatient. They haven't done anything beyond just a regular submitting out there to try to figure out how they can get some kind of a deal. So they wind up going to these these horrible vanity publishers. They take your money and they give you a bunch of half-assed products, and, and now you got to figure out what to do with it. This happens all the time. I'm reading 10 cases of this a month at least. Some of them telling me they got robbed of all their money and they're complaining and others, what do I do? I don't even know why I want to answer what they want to do. I mean, go read, listen to one of my podcasts, I guess, then, because I'm tired of telling people that don't do something, they do it anyway. And then a month later, they'll be crying about how they just got robbed of everything. But I can tell you right now, folks, just to be as succinct as I possibly can about it, okay? A lot of times people that do these things, they're doing it out of impatience. And by doing it out of impatience, you damage yourself. I have a publication that refuses to work, promote, or even do a book review with somebody that, that's one of these vanity projects. I won't. Period. No matter if they get mad or not, bye. Have a good day. Go with somebody else. Not bothering with that kind of stuff at all. That's how much I'm against it. A lot of other... Editors are too. They just won't come out as much as I am about it. But they won't even bother with it. Yeah, we're busy, this, that, whatever. You'll never know why, but I guarantee you, once they see there's a vanity thing involved in it, they don't want to be part of it. Because they know exactly what I'm about to tell you. That when you do something like this, you're, you're saying you're not much of a writer. You're saying you don't believe in the in the process. You're saying that you're not willing to continue to, to fight with your work. You just want it out there no matter what the cost. And here is the cost. It's not just money, okay? 
Because if you can afford to give somebody two, three thousand dollars, it's your money to give away, do whatever you want with it. I got that. It's just money. But the true cost is not the money. The true cost is your self-respect. Your true cost is people always thinking in the back of their mind, yeah, that person got vanity published. How good could they possibly be? And it's sad because I sometimes I read these manuscripts before people make these these stupid decisions, and I'm like, this is a great manuscript. Now you ruined it. Now it doesn't have the value it should have. And guess what? Because you now got trapped up in this sort of thing, you can't even excuse the word recycle this to a new project one day with an actual legitimate publisher. Because you got to be able to tell me I got this published and this other. Oh no, we don't want that. It's already been published. A lot of them have rules that say, literally, uh, we want a certain percentage of literary publications that publish this work, but we don't want anything that's been in another another book before, whether it be an anthology or anything else, or, or your own book. They don't care. So imagine that. Imagine have 50, 60, 70 poems, some of your best work, and now you, you can't do anything with it because it's still stuck in that jail of a, of a jerky publisher. And now you can't bring it to light to, in, in a better way. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, without sounding gross over here, it's like you just lost your virginity to some jerk. And you're never going to get it back. And that's that. That's pretty much what happens when you do these sort of things. Now, if you grow to be a great prolific writer and you don't mind missing out 50, 60 poems and you're just going to try with somebody else that is legitimate, then maybe it's not a big deal for you then. I lived, I learned, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But I'll tell you one thing. Somebody who's a poet as well as somebody who writes fiction and plays, there's something more special about poems than there is fiction and, and, and plays. There simply is. And because of that, I find that many people, even writers like myself who have been around quite some time writing, I mean, you don't write as much as you think. I, I've written over about 650 poems, okay? That took me 36 years to do, okay? So you don't write that many. And if you're not writing as long as I do, you're not even going to probably get to that number. So, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're doing 50, 60, and 70 poems in some crappy publisher, you probably just blew out almost all the stuff that you've written up to that point. I guarantee you there's not too much extra left over. Just the ones you don't like or they didn't fit in the theme or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it takes a long time to be able to put something like that again. Get the, get the time and get the skill and get the the talent and get the inspiration to put together a whole other set for somebody else. When you can't go back to the other stuff, so that's what you face. That's what you sacrifice and that's what you lose from doing that. But I can't I can't help people and promote people and do anything along that line because I'm simply deeply against that. It, it, there's there's no point. Once you start doing stuff like that. You know, to me, I say that people, they lose, they lose faith in themselves when they do that. Because that kind of impatience, I think, is corrosive. It, it makes too many people suspicious. It makes too many people double-think what the hell is going on. And people shouldn't have to do that. There's enough stuff to think about without having people also wondering, you know, how ethical was this effort? Does this even count for anything because it's vanity published? These are all legitimate things to say that people often don't say. They just think about it as they're writing you off into the future. Boop. I don't want to deal with that person. They, they had one of those projects. I'm told this all the time. 
by people who got this done, realized it was just a big scam, didn't get much of their stuff worked out there, and now their work is trapped. And now they're trying to do something legitimate right now, and everybody and their uncle is, is, is pretty much, you know, passing them over. My only advice to, to these people, because, you know, they already did the bad deed. They can't, they can't undo it. Tony Rice is, don't publicize that. Please don't tell a new publisher. Yeah, I got, I got a book uh, out uh, by Scooby Dooby Publishers, and they were a ripoff, so I'm, so I'm trying something else. You, you're just making people question your judgment more. If they're going to find out, they're going to find out on their own. Don't help them. That's all. That's the only thing I can say. I mean, you're not being dishonest at all. You know, unless it's a situation where the, that's a publisher that says, we're only going to publish people that only had a, well, a, a, one book, uh, who's never had a book out before. Then you can't tell people, no, I didn't have a book out or, or enter something like that because then you are lying and then that's false and that's not proper because they'll eventually find out and then, then you're in deep doo-doo. But if they don't have that rule, there's no reason for you to mention it. If they ever found out one day, you can always tell them the truth at that point then. Hey, I was embarrassed to mention it, okay? It was a made a mistake. You know, I can't do anything with that stuff anymore. I'm doing something new in a new direction, and that's all I can do. Most people will probably understand that. But like I said, there's a lot of a lot of publishers out there that they only want the first book. You know, and and so you, you got to like look look at those rules and, and just sort of make those decisions. But understanding that when you made that decision, it's going to take you out of the out of the running from a number of places. There's there's a bunch of cut. Contests out there, even the ones that you know you don't have to pay. And I've always mentioned before, I, I don't think anyone should pay for a publication or even a contest. But it's not free, too bad. That's my uh, my official opinion, and that's exactly what I do in my own writing. I don't pay nobody for anything. But there are contests, whether you're willing to pay or not, that literally happen the rules. You know. Um, you can't have a book out before, otherwise, you know, we don't, we can't accept this. We can't look at this. Or you might have a contest where it literally says, um, you know, you only can have one book out, and that's that. So then it's up to you whether you want to mention it or not. I just, I don't ever think it's a good idea. <laughs> you know, once it has a vanity label on it, run, run away. If you don't, if you couldn't run away from making a mistake, then run away from making another mistake by advertising it and broadcasting it. Don't, okay? It's like getting a black eye, you know. Wait for it to heal. Don't don't go walking around there. Yeah, I got a black eye. Because that's pretty much what it is in the in the literary sense. Now, the impatience of publication is not only just about getting published; it's also about uh, people that resort to these horrible uh, hire for editors and, and hire for proofreaders people. They take your stuff and a thousand dollars from you and they run it through, um, uh, you know, word uh, spell checker and grammarly and they give it back to you with a couple of ideas and that's it. That's, and then you're like, this isn't all that different. What the hell? Yeah, thank you for your thousand dollars. Because that's what you're going to get from people like that. Ripped off. In many instances, they're worse. <laughs> than the publishers, these vanity publishers, at least the vanity publisher is actually giving you a product in your hand. I don't agree with it. It's not always the best made product, but at least you are getting something. What the hell are you getting from these so-called editors and proofreaders for hire? 
Nothing. They're literally fraudulent from one end to the other. They're never doing anything real. They're not actually reading your book and breaking it down. Hey, what's going on with this character? This doesn't make any sense over here. And, you know, I think you should rephrase this other stuff over there. And maybe you should have some more detail and background on this one. No, they're not doing any of that crap because they're not really reading it. Right? They're just they're running a machine through it. You could do that yourself for free. So I always recommend people find friends and relatives that could read stuff. You wouldn't believe how much they're going to catch things. Spell errors, story issues, all that kind of stuff. Get better beta readers. They often find lots of stuff. They read it for free. And then you're on the hook one day when someone needs the help, and you become that person to help somebody else out. Same thing with other writers. You might have befriend the writer too. Hey, listen. You know, I got a, I got a, a project over here. You, you mind checking this out and tell me what you think, and, and I'll be happy to do uh, when you have one in the in the future. Oh, hell, you got one now? Cool. How about you just exchange it right now? Those are the things that will help you. Other writers. Other people who are not writers sometimes. They just become readers. All of these things are honest eyes and honest voices and honest hearts that not requiring any dollars, okay? If you physically know some of these people where you know them in your life, hey, thanks for that. I really appreciate that. You know, give them a gift card for Starbucks or a restaurant. Take them to dinner. Buy them a drink. Something like that. That's still going to be better money spent than some anonymous idiot that claims that they, they wrote this and they did that. They can't even give you five references. You won't even find five references from any of these people. X. You won't find it. You'll get five excuses, but you're not going to get anything real. So that's another part of the impatience of publication is people, again, spending money impatiently trying to get something done, something done quickly in a hurry. And later on, I get the complaints. What do I do? Well, there's nothing you can do. I mean, some cases with the uh, vanity publishers, you can get an attorney general. If you can get somebody in the office to listen to your story and be sympathetic, they can send a letter over there. Sometimes I've seen people get some of their money back. Other times, because there's nothing illegal about it, there's not a whole lot they can do. But a lot of times, these people don't want anybody on them, including somebody looking into them. And they'll just cut a deal, do something and get, to get rid of the whole situation and help that person get some of their money back because they don't want the spotlight on them. Well, guess what? The hiring for editors and proofreaders, well, that's even worse. There's simply no organization to represent you. You can't get a lawyer. There's no court thing about it. There's nothing that they're doing that is illegal. You're not signing a contract where they're specifying, yeah, I'm going to help you with the story elements, and I'm going to see if there's some background missing, and I'm going to do the proofreading. They're not listing out a whole bunch of stuff they're going to do. People literally give these people my money by PayPal blindly because they, they, they make some story about, about all these books they got people published on. Ask them all these titles, and you know, and then like, great, okay, cool. How about... Um, uh, that person you said that that book got published, and I see that it got published, okay. How about you have them contact me, okay? Here's my email address. Have them contact me. I want to hear a reference from them about how, how this really helped. Because I know a lot of writers that got books published, and guess what? They often had to get another person to help them because the first one robbed them and didn't do anything. So just because the book's published and that... And that thief is mentioning about and part of their resume of how great they are. Doesn't mean that they did anything to help that person get published. They just took their money, and they're still using them, still using them. So it's it's incredible. 
But that's what you want to do in that circumstance, because again, that kind of impatience becomes a literary disaster. It hurts people. I've seen people's marriages get damaged. I've seen people lost money that they could have done with other things. I've seen people, it wore them down to where they didn't want to be around anymore. They felt like everybody was gunning for them. Well, guess what? There's at least three parties gunning for you on a regular basis. Okay? There's a publisher running these people. These these uh, crook uh, hire for editors people. There's these hire for proofreaders people. You got another group of artists. You know? Yeah, give me two hundred dollars. I'll give you the the art cover you want, and then they they give you some crap that doesn't even look anything like it. Again, there's nothing you can do. You already paid them up front. You got the art. Now you gotta use it. You might not even like it. It might even fit what you wanted to get done. You know? And guess what? And, and a lot of publishers, they don't even want to take somebody else's art. So, they'll have something in-house or, you know, they might not, how about, what if they don't like it? Moms if you love it, but they don't like it. Again, running out the window. And patience. It's a bad thing with writing. But we got so many people out there because the freedom out there to get published now is more than ever before. So I understand that. But, you know, this shows you as a writer, the, the the human condition and how weak and, and silly we can be. And and to me, I think it sets a very bad example for the other people out there because we're writing to people to make a connection. And in some cases, we're writing on a social basis in order to educate somebody or, you know, to illuminate certain things or maybe even to complain about certain inequalities in the world, but then we're, we're allowing ourselves being used to this fashion. You're certainly not practicing anything that you're preaching. Because you're asking people to safeguard themselves against this, that, and whatever. And you can't even do that with your debit card. Yeah? If you're going to preach to me about security, make sure you're not blowing money out with strangers. That's what I say. It's just common sense. I wouldn't tell you anything different if whether you were my child or some writers I know. Don't be impatient. Take your time. Writing is a long game and it's a long process. If it's too much for you to deal with, then maybe you shouldn't be a writer then. Now understand what I'm saying when I say that. I'm not telling somebody don't be a writer. I'm not trying to push somebody off the, the cliff of writing. All I'm trying to say is if you need to be impatient on a regular basis, you're not going to get anywhere. What's the point of being a writer then? You're never going to accomplish anything you want to do. You're not even going to get enough credits to even go anywhere. Because everybody's going to reject you because you're sending them junk. Because you send them impatient nonsense. Because you send them first drafts that they can tell right away. There's no point then. So, impatience is definitely a, a, a way to get to literary disaster. So, if you don't want the literary disaster, do not be impatient. Look at it as the long game. Look at it as a, a, a process that you have to continue to follow. Look at it as something that you continue to rewrite. Remember, I say this all the time in, the, in these shows. Writing is rewriting. If there's any secret at all to writing, that is it. Rewriting. It's how things get better. It's how you're able to clarify to yourself what's going on. It's how you're able to make the focus necessary to get across your point. It's how you make it something that's credible and, and structural and, and, and has good word usage and, and, and has a snappy title and is something that's ready to go out there. That takes time. You can't do that overnight. You can't do that quickly. 
You can't do that by rushing everything like the world's going to end. You know, when somebody likes me one time, well, what if you got like six months to, to live? Well, I'm not trying to say callous here or cruel, folks, but if I had six months to live and I've been a writer for all these years, uh, I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time writing, okay? I've done enough writing. Um, I don't see the point. Maybe I should be spending more time with family or going out to the outdoors more, doing other things. Maybe like just trying to live life a little bit more because it's about to be taken from me. I don't think writing is going to be at the top of my list if I hear that. So it's not exactly a profession when you don't have a lot of time left because it takes time to do things. You know? I mean, a decent play, e e even a short one, I, I swear it could take a couple months, sometimes up to six months, just to get it right before I want to send it out there. That, I don't want that to be my last act. I really don't. And I'm a writer telling you this. So it's just simply not something that you need to be doing impatiently. Or you need to be in the Russian. Because what rush are we talking about over here? Mark, I only have three weeks left before I can get this into this contest and blah, blah, blah. And I got the... Well, if you think you can try to get it done in three weeks, give it your best shot. But again, what are you really going to accomplish? You're going to get a, a, a 85,000 uh, word uh, novel that's only a quarter of the way done and, and, and the rest of it you're going to get done in three weeks? How great do you think that's going to be? What is worth the rejection on, on that kind of effort? I mean, think about it. This is what impatience does. It doesn't let you make the judgment. It doesn't make you allow you to make the evaluations. It doesn't allow you to weigh what the hell is going on. Why would their rejection a couple months later be worth a damn when you already know that you, you spent three weeks to try to finish a novel that was only 25% done? I mean, really, why to do that? Because you get that kind of rejection, that's the first thing that has to come to your mind. Not that they suck, not that they're unfair, not that they hate you. You screwed yourself. You gave them something that wasn't well thought out. There lots of things you probably missed out on because you didn't spend the time. So the rejection becomes legitimate, but it's not the rejection of that you're a good writer or not. It's not the rejection that you have a cool story. It's the rejection of they can tell it's just a jumbled mess of stupidness. It's not ready. I don't even know if trying to write a, a, a novel or finish a novel in three weeks is even a first draft. <laughs> I don't even know if it even qualifies for that. Jesus, you're not even giving them the first draft. You're giving them like, I don't know. A half a draft or something. It's just, it's nuts. But this is what you do to yourself when you start engaging in, in the impatient game. Where you don't want to take the time that's necessary. In that particular scenario, not that people like to listen to me that often, or admit to listen to me that often on good advice. Advice that often comes, not only from my experience, but the experience of other people who confess things to me all the time. My advice would be, screw the three-week thing. Go find another contest that gives you four, five, six months later and live with that. Work within that time frame. Yeah, you know, you could probably get a, a decent novel done that's only 25% done in the six months. You can probably get that done. Hell, you might even be able to get a couple of drafts in there quickly. It's not ideal. I always think a good novel takes about a year, but that's a whole lot better than three weeks. You have a much better chance.
that's what you want to do. A lot of times writing, particularly um, when folks are trying to figure out, you know, what their place is in the world, where it might lead for them, and, and etc. A lot of times it's all about you managing your expectations. Well, I don't know what kind of expectation you expect to have if you're already cutting your own legs out. Mark, I wanted to do this 6K marathon, but, uh, you know, um, I'm pretty much dehydrated, and one of my legs uh, got messed up when I was doing some work in the garage. So but I'm still going to run anyway. You know, and then out of 6,000 people, you know, you, you, you barely finished the thing with, a, with massive pain and illness and throwing up and everything. And you're like, you know, number 5,888 or something. There's no point in that. You're not proving anything other than you're stupid and you're going to hurt yourself further. Because after that kind of damage, what marathon do you think you're going to be able to run anytime soon? You're out of it for a while. It's the same thing with writing. You get impatient, you act impatiently, you damage yourself, you damage your writing, you damage your image and your perception, and then if you don't realize what you've done or you just don't want to admit it and you don't want to take responsibility from it, well, eventually either you keep doing the same crap over and over again or you just give up, you know? I know plenty of writers that gave up. I didn't give up because the world was unfair. I didn't give up because the public industry is hard. They gave up because none of the shortcuts would work. It's almost like somebody going to the 7-Eleven, you know, a convenience store, and complaining to the manager, I don't understand why this milk costs $5. When the other stores, they have it at only two fifty. Well, sir, if you want the convenience of coming here and going home quickly versus having to spend 15 minutes to go to a store a big market, and then another half an hour to get through the lines and this and that and everything, yeah, you could save the 250 by doing that. But if time's important to you, well, then you're going to spend more money. It's always between the difference of time and money and, and, and whether something's convenient or not. Convenience is not usually very good. And guess what? Writing, folks, there's nothing convenient about it. If you thought there was some cool pastime that's convenient, well... You're not going to make the grade on anything. I get that stuff all the time. Stuff that, even when it's written technically well, it has no heart. It has no spirit. It lacks any kind of soul. It, it doesn't live on the screen. Or like they used to say, you know, before computers, lives on the paper. It doesn't have that whole three-dimensional slap you in the face. You could tell someone just put together a couple of sentences and typed it up and, you know, made you fall asleep. That's another form of impatience. That's the impatience of creativity when they didn't bother to do anything interesting about it. Just wrote down something like we're supposed to all be, you know, caring about somebody's family harmony or something. We all got them. So why do we care about yours? We barely care about ours. Please. We all got a family story. Doesn't mean much. Tell me something new. Tell me something fresh. Tell me something that's going to provoke thought. Tell me something that's going to rile up my emotions. Not in a bigoted or hateful way, but rile up my emotions about possibly uh, an interesting injustice that you've discovered. And I don't mean like protesting and riots. I mean, there's all kinds of injustices out there. 
find one, work on it. But you can't do any of what I just described in a matter of impatience. It just won't work. Because patience is taking the time to do something correct, to investigate something, to give it, it the authenticity, to breathe life into it so that you're connecting to it and then later it connects to somebody else. That's how it works. You know, it's, it's, it's like one of those old radio sets. You know, if you can't boost the signal with a better antenna, well, you're not going to get your message out there. And you can't complain about, I don't understand why they're not hearing me. Well, because your antenna is a piece of crap and it's like five inches tall. What the hell is that going to do for you? That's what impatience is all about. Trying to get your message out there using a crappy radio and a, and, and a substandard antenna. And then you're wondering, what happened? Well, that's what happened. You're too damn impatient. Be more patient. Be more willing to take the time to work it out. Understanding that writing is work. Understanding that writing can be inspirational. It could also be painful. Writing is not a whole bunch of hallmark stuff, too. I've known people that had to write some rough things about themselves and their lives and the things they went through. Can't be easy for someone to do that. Don't matter what they went through. Well, shouldn't they be an expert on it? Well, who wants to hurt themselves? Unless you're suicidal, most people are not interested in hurting themselves. But sometimes writing, that's what it does to you. And you got to, like, survive that as well. But even that has to be done in an intelligent and patient and creative manner. It can't be done haphazardly. Because, again, then you betray whatever injury or whatever insult or whatever you've gone through. You just made light of it. You just made it, it, it being nothing. So work on that, folks. Be more patient. All right. This is uh, Strength to be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. That was episode 199, Impatient Leads to Literary Disasters. We got more coming up this month of May. Uh, thank you for all the uh, emails I've gotten so far. I really do appreciate it. Hopefully, we're going to get some more interviews on the road over here soon and then move forward from there. Until next time, folks, God bless and thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.